0: Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're your hosts, Natalie Kaborik and Tara Vanderdeusen, and together we bring you our professional
1: farming opinions on a mix of entertainment, facts, and trending news articles in the ag and food space. We're ag like you've never seen or heard it before. Welcome to episode 70 of Discover Ag. I like almost just, I can't believe it's 70. I didn't even realize it's that many until I just said that number. It feels
0: huge. And not only is it number 70, but we're recording together live. We're together and it's going terrible.
1: (laughs) I know. I hope this episode turns out good. I feel like we had really high hopes because we were together and it's just like not we're having tech issues on the back end.
0: But you'd think like shame, fool us once, shame on us, fool us. Or what is that? Shame on you, shame us twice, shame on us. That is not what it is. Whatever it is. By now, I feel like we need our technical ducks in a row and we never have them in a row. We just think like, oh, we'll just plop down and record. And then it literally takes us longer to like set up, get our mics, position the camera, figure out how to do it. It's way more challenging to do it together than apart.
1: Agreed. It's just easier to just sit down where we're used to doing it at home, but... I'm so excited to be with you here.
0: I guess. I can't even look at you because we need to talk <laughs> in different directions so our mics don't bounce. I like It's it's like I'm recording to myself. I'm staring at a, the kitchen wall, not your face. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Maybe we should tell people where we're at. Yes. We're coming live from sunny California. Well, cloudy, sunny California. Yeah. It, it was
1: definitely cloudy and cold, but still like sunny-ish. I mean, it's sunnier, warmer than where we're from.
0: But. Oh, 100%. So... As everyone maybe knows, we are calving out a bunch of first calf heifers on our ranch, and I had promised Luke, um, we call it Project 23, and I had promised him that I would not go anywhere in February when we were calving out Project 23 because I knew that's when they were AI, the majority of them to be born, and so I said, I will not work, I will not travel, unless I take the kids with me. I said, and that was the agreement. Where he was like, that's fine. If you want to go anywhere, you just have to take the littles with you. And so I reached out to Tara and Ashley and was like, Hey, Luke's going to be really busy this time. I think it would just do good for our family to have like a mix of scenery. Cause we have like a whole new routine now based on like when Luke's sleeping and eating, just, it's just different. And so I was like, I think it'd be good to like change up the pace for our family. And Luke just like kind of calve in peace, I guess, just like eat, sleep. <laughs> eat, sleep, and calf. And I was like, we should plan a trip together. And so we threw together this one for Disneyland for the kids. And it's been so fun. So before I left, I put in my first... Have you heard of Thrive?
1: I've heard of it and I maybe I've only heard, no, I feel like I've heard of it from you. And then I get some like Instagram ads, probably because I heard about it from you.
0: 100%. Every time we talk about something, we get each, we're like, oh, thanks, Tara, for filling my feed with this. And <laughs> thanks, Natalie, for now having my feed with this. But it's uh, essentially like an online grocery store you can place an order from, but it's like, you know, rooted in like health, I guess. It's more like a, um, I don't know. Healthy grocery store you order from? That's a terrible way of explaining it. But we're gonna move past that. <laughs> <As> <laughs> if other grocery stores are not healthy. No. <laughs> okay. Before you sign up though online, you have to like select a bunch of. It like pulls you for options essentially. Like it's trying to hone in on you as a shopper. And it made me pick from what I cared about most as a shopper. And it gave environmental, social, sustainable, farmed um, options. So it was like environmental, farmed, social, sustainable. And then it was made in US was an option. uh, Woman owned was an option. And family owned was an option. And I thought that was... I just thought the options were interesting. I thought that it was like trying... Gave me those options was interesting. I don't know.
1: Um, I'll have to check it out. I've never done... I've never online grocery shopped ever. Like I've never done Instacart. I've never like done the Walmart like pickup.
0: So that is sh- shocking because you're like bougie as bougie comes. So the fact that you've never done like <laughs> the bougie option is actually really throwing. Um, do I know you at all right now?
1: I don't think you know me at all.
0: <laughs> I am just a
1: go into the grocery store. <laughs> see what like the grocery store is telling me to buy and I buy it. I don't understand how you get those vibes when you shop online it probably save me money to do shopping online i'd probably like meal plan plan it all out whereas i just like walk into the grocery store and i'm like kids what do you think we should have for dinner this week? And then we just throw things in our cart and then we
0: just keep going. It's like a Vanderduce and free-for-all. <laughs> it
1: really is. Okay. But I'll have to check that out. Um, I'm laughing though because the other thing that I've been getting um Instagram like notifications for is better greens. So can you please like stop talking about it? Cause like it's like every single ad is better greens. I think they're like, we've almost got her. Like we're gonna hook her.
0: I will never not stop talking about them. People have been visiting our ranch and I send them with Better Greens to go. I'm like, here, just take a couple, try them out. Like Amanda came on her way to Cultivate Courage. I sent her with Better Greens. I have not checked in to see if she liked them. She didn't tell me she did, so I'm guessing she didn't. I don't know. I'm not going to speak for Amanda. Uh, I sent Jenna was at our ranch. I sent them with her. I, I bought you a pack of 30 and mailed them to you. And the audacity, you haven't even tried them. Rude. I have not tried them. And also... We have to
1: talk about how you send me things in the mail and don't tell me you're sending them and I get random packages. Like Daniel was like, what is this? I was like, if you don't know what it's who it's from and I didn't order it, it's probably from Natalie. Like and it's sure
0: a... enough, it was like little <laughs> packets of
1: better greens.
0: It's like a bomb. <laughs> I
1: know. It was like very, it's very concerning. It's like
0: open at your own caution. <laughs> I don't understand how – we just talked about last night how gift giving is your love language and you're like, can you please stop surprising me with gifts? <laughs> it's fine. They're just – Poor Dan. Make up your mind, Tara. Do you want gifts or do you not want gifts?
1: I don't think I consider better greens and self help books (laughs) (laughs) gifts. Oh my gosh. We need to work on your gift giving. (laughs) Oh
0: my gosh. Okay, going back to the grocery store, though. Get back on topic. I do. I just have one more point because this is why I guess I brought it up. I do think it's interesting how we're seeing a shift in grocery stores role in like the dialogue and the conversation. I have been screenshot and text by a handful of followers. Um, like the Kro I'm pretty sure it's Kroger. You guys don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure it's the Kroger app that when you are loading it up and it's like refreshing, it gives the broccoli versus beef false compare. It says, Did you know that oh, broccoli I think has Kroger? Yes. And so I just think we're starting to see. So I had been like aware of it from that. And I'm sure there's a gazillion other grocery stores that are doing it in different ways in the online debt. Like, but my only exposure has been through that. And then now this five that I tried for the first time. And I just think it's going to be interesting to watch the unfold of grocery stores, like inserting their dialogue into this environmental sustainable conversation of
1: food. Um, I think if there's a quote that is our quote, it's don't quote us on that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. discover ag the podcast don't Don't quote us (laughs) because it's probably wrong (laughs) oh my gosh okay another thing i've been wanting to talk to you about and i've like refrained from texting you about it because normally i just text you all day long everything (laughs) i finally finished 1883
1: and can we so proud of you welcome to 2023
0: i know but can we talk about how obsessed people should be with 1883
1: it's so good. Like, if you even barely like Yellowstone, it's so much better than Yellowstone.
0: Oh, 100%. I'm sorry. Uh, what's his name? Taylor Sheridan? Yeah. But I I, st- I watched the first two seasons of Yellowstone, and I would like to watch it again just, I don't know, to be, up, I guess, up to date with everything. But I am not really, like, itching to watch it, and I could not stop watching 1883, and I am dying. I just downloaded 1923 to start watching it.
1: So good. I'm in nineteen twenty-three. I'm like week by week. Like I'm completely caught up. It is also really good, but I don't. I think eighteen eighty-three is the best one.
0: I told you. I mean, I briefly texted. you Told you I was starting it and watching it, and I was like, I just think I was born. I should have been born in eighteen eighty-three. Like I just would have thrived in that time. I loved Elsa vibes. I just this summer, if you guys see me with like the Elsa hat <laughs> and like trying to channel, you know, the oversights trench coat in Nebraska in the ninety-degree weather, I'm Channeling my Elsa vibes. Okay, we should mention that the l- main character's
1: name is Elsa because otherwise, people may be thinking about Frozen. Um, <laughs> that is true. The demographic
0: folks are on, Like interesting outfit choice for <laughs> <right>? moving cattle. <laughs> so the Elsa wear Frozen an Elsa
1: dress. I'm yeah. confused. Um, what's funny is I almost named Annalise Elsa, and the entire time I was watching the show, I was like, "What if I had named Annalise Elsa?" Um, I had different thoughts though than you watching the show. I was like, "I'd be dead. I'm dead." Like I wouldn't have made it out of childhood. I was born in the right era. Like honestly, I love exactly where I got put.
0: Oh, I have no desire, zero desire to be any earlier than where we were. I loved it. I think I missed my calling to be Elsa. Sexually. you say
1: that after you were just
0: telling us how you ordered thrive marketplace
1: <laughs> I can have, like at least i hunt and gather at the grocery store you just get it delivered to you
0: that's because i don't have grocery store it's a survival of the fittest this is back to my point of why i could do the things i need to survive i don't have large grocery stores near me i have to order so you're like adapting. surviving yes surviving here elsa vibes Okay. All right. Well, getting to the meat of the episode this week and what we'll be covering for this week's top three trending topics in the ag and food space that you guys need to know, we have milk dumping in Canada. Oh, speaking of Canada, milk dumping in Canada.
1: Um, I feel like this is going to – I'm going to bring it to the United States, but I'm going to talk about Canada. And I'm also going to mention a little bit about Europe as well. I, If you know anything about the milk marketing system, it's complicated. But I'm going to try to – I'm trying to try to really pack that in because I want to cover some ground in that
0: article. And I'm gonna provide comedic relief while she does that because
1: she's Perfect. clearly expert. We've got the New Mexico milk I am rate coming not into the expert On <laughs> milk marketing, but we're gonna
0: try. Well you're more qualified than I am. But don't quote us, you guys. <laughs> don't quote us on any of the milk marketing order. All right. Our second article we're covering is the Ohio derailment. If you guys don't know what that is, you've been under a rock and we will pull you out from underneath it. But if you do We have things to share about, um, I guess, doing more research into what's going on in Ohio. I have been getting a lot of DMs about this. I just think
1: maybe because of the environmental background, like people have been like, well, what would you test for? What would you do? Um, And so I I think people have a lot of questions about that one.
0: Mm. Yeah, especially the people there. And lastly, we're going to be covering a new pilot program that's being trialed to help give beef producers more leverage in negotiating with the big four. I feel like we should have music behind that. Like, dun, dum. dun, dun, dun bum, bum, the big every four. Every time we mention
1: them, it's like, Dome. oh, and Tyson. I feel like just, we should have like certain words. It's like, boom. Okay. When we get cooler, when we just <laughs> get our tech issues under control, <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> we'll add music, guys. <laughs> give us, yeah. give us a, like 30 more episodes. <laughs> Okay. But before we dive into all of that, we want to remind you guys, as we always do, that every month we host a giveaway to say thank you for listening to the Discover Ag podcast. All you have to do to be entered into the giveaway is share our podcast to social channels or leave us a review. And then at the end of the month, we pick someone who did that and we send them all a bag of our favorite things. And I want to give a shout out to one of the person that taped us this week because Discover Ag is officially global, which I'm sure was before this, but it's been confirmed through this because we had someone, um, tag stories from New Zealand about how she was listening when she was out. Um, I think it was a dairy farm actually. Oh,
1: love all the dairy farmer representation in the, the maybe, daggers. Maybe discover, not. Discoverers,
0: discos, Disco. just trying out some things. Anyway, maybe it wasn't dairy. Maybe it was just a normal operation. Cause she did show like very, anyway, the scenery was beautiful. It was Penmark farm. So shout out to Penmark farms in New Zealand for take and discover ag global.
1: Um, we also had some people reach out to us about um, our goodie bags that they want to, some like crafters, makers, creators um, that want to contribute to our goodie bags that we send out to you guys. So we'd love to see the reviews. We didn't get a review this week and it crushed me a little on the inside. I was like, does everyone hate this episode?
0: She's like, all I got was better greens in the mail that I don't want and no reviews. <laughs> the and worst Pamela week ever. Anderson vegan <laughs> mail. Okay. Okay. Um, All right. You ready to dive into the top three industry news pieces you guys need to know this week?
1: Uh, Yeah. But before you do that, I do want to remind you that we are now on YouTube and this YouTube one is going to be a good one because we're together. So it's the same video. Hi, everyone on YouTube. Uh, So don't forget to head over to YouTube. If someone you know loves
0: YouTube, I hope you'll share this podcast with them um, and check us out over there. All right. The first article we're going to be covering in the top three industry news pieces you guys need to know this week is dairy farmer decries... Decrees. Wow. I should have picked an article title that I knew how to pronounce you guys. Mandatory milk dumping to keep prices high. As Canadian consumers are hit by generationally high rates of food inflation, an Ontario dairy farmer posted a viral video Monday documenting how he was being forced by federal authorities to dump a swimming pool's worth of excess milk. Quote, I dumped 30,000 liters of milk and it breaks my heart says dairy farmer Jerry Hugan in a five-minute TikTok video that has already been viewed more than a million times across various social media platforms. They make us dump it, and this time I'm going public, he adds, while standing next to a drain pipe pouring milk onto the floor. And take it away, New Mexico milkmaid.
1: I've been really trying to figure out where to start with this. And I think I'll start with, at least here in the United States, the price in the grocery store does not have anything to do with how much dairy farmers get paid, really. And I feel like it's probably similar for beef, maybe, maybe not. But like just because pl- prices of milk are really high in the grocery store doesn't mean that farmers are getting more higher prices. So I feel like
0: that's the first thing. The second thing is. But so hold on to interrupt you. But the articles I were reading were saying that it is correlated in Canada, right? Do you know?
1: So Canada's system is different than ours, and they do have this uh, quota system, and they also have where they don't bring milk in. Like, we have more imports, exports. So, And they have a class like we don't have. And it makes it really complicated for the competition of exports and imports because they do control their price more than other countries do or control it. Different, I guess it's probably how it should be said. Um, but they're also not the only country that has some kind of quota system. I think they're the only country where it's the federal government that is in charge of the quota because that was what I read in that article. But I know Europe has had quota systems like since I was a child that you could only produce so much milk and you couldn't like grow your farm bigger And now in the United States, since COVID, we have a lot of co-ops that have quota systems as well. And so we don't necessarily dump milk if we go over quota here in the United States. What happens is you move into a lower tier price. So you get, say, 150 gallons. I'm just going to use easy numbers. I realize that that's not even how it's like worded or uh, measured, but you get like 150 gallons. If you produce 155, you get the top price for 150 and you get this tier two for the last five gallons of milk.
0: Does that make sense? Yes, it makes absolute sense. But my question is the basis point. What's the point in controlling how much is produced?
1: So a couple of different things. Dairy farmers can produce a ton of milk. Like we can produce milk really, really quickly and produce a lot of it. There has to be processing facilities that can process the milk. So one of the reasons for the quota system that I know about that I'm the most familiar with was we didn't have any more milk processing plants. So us producing more milk would mean it would get jumped down the drain anyway because there was no place to process it. It was less about the price. It is somewhat about the price because if you're overproducing and no one's buying it and you're dumping it, that hurts our price too. It's not about making the grocery store price higher. It's about not wasting milk and yeah. it not being processed or that, drank.
0: That makes sense to me. And I guess that's where my mind initially went. The other place my mind initially went, as you were talking, was like monopolization. The moment you said we could produce a lot and we can do it quickly, it it put my place in a mind of like that. If there wasn't this, I guess, monitor regul- regulation, you could have a large dairy produce that just monopolizes the whole marketplace then, right? A lot easier than through controlling this quota.
1: Yeah, so that's complicated. (laughs) Don't quote us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because I think one of the hard things right now is the quota system in the United States is very like pieced up, like broken up. Like it's like by co-op or area. So some areas I think are not in a quota system and some areas are. Also, some people are independent contractors. So they don't sell to a co-op. So they're not having a quota system. So in theory, like a really large dairy and I like, I've gotten in some heated debates with Daniel about this, like a really, really like big dairy could have an independent contract with a processing plant where they could continue to produce milk and not be like th- there's not a federal mandate saying you can't produce more milk. So technically, people still could. So Does this, this make is sense? literally,
0: well, this is literally what's hap- I think what you're saying is what's happening in our third article we're covering, which is the meatpacking because part of the problem is that l- really large feedlots are negotiating prices that we smaller feedlots are not aware of. Yes. And so it, it's just like an advantage to the larger.
1: Yeah. And it's not even just the larger. Like I know some independent contractors like in the 90s, there was like premiums on your milk and independent contractors or independent dairy farmers, not contracts, uh, would go in and like kind of undercut, like get rid of the premium. And so then everyone lost the premium. So it's not necessarily just based on size. It's like a lot of factors.
0: This goes back to what we always say, which is, uh, everyone wants to make agriculture and probably like everything in the world, like nice and neat, tidy and clean. So black and white. And there's just a lot of nuance and a lot of gay conversation. Cause one of the quotes I pulled out of the article was it said, cause they were talking about, well, basically I'll give a little rundown. They were saying this started in the Canadian, don't quote us, but it was started in Canada in the 1970s. I'd be interested. I think we actually do have a lot of Canadian listeners, which would go back to being global. Right. But anyway, um, they follow a state sanctioned cartel that artificially limits supply in order to drive up well i don't know this is what, did you think the article skewed
1: it was that's what i was about to say when you were saying like everyone wants to wrap something up in a pretty bow i also think sometimes people write articles to be very fear based and this one felt that way to me like i was like it's not you're making it sound like like the government and dairy farmers are doing something terrible to like price gouge people and that's not what's happening
0: Cause that Well, so that's what the one of the quotes I was going to plot. It said, it makes the supply management system look cold, callous, and greedy, but the system was put in place to give farmers a stable income and as an alternative to do what most countries do, which is subsidize farmers directly. That also leads into the fear, though. I don't like that quote now that I just read that aloud.
1: But I do agree. It was created to have a more stable milk price. And I will say, Canadian Deer, I was surprised to see this because I've heard... Ter- uh, Canadian dairy farmers say they like it. They have a much more stable milk price than we do in the United States. Ours is up and down and back and forth. And we were just talking, you and I were having this conversation. I was telling you something about dairy, and I was like, last year was a completely different year than 2023 was for milk pricing. And so I don't think it's all bad. I don't think there's a perfect system. So I don't know. I'd love someone from Canada to weigh in.
0: Well, and this also feeds into like another conversation. I don't know if we've had this on the podcast yet, but I know you and I have had it personally, and we've had it anytime we like host our rural Rooted Retreats or we do like our summer at Masterminds, we talk a lot about when it comes to sharing online, how you have to be careful or some people are fearful of it, but they don't want their voice that is meant to speak for their operation and their opinions to speak for the whole ag industry, you know, as a whole. And that's essentially what happened. Like this came from one dairy farmer, Posting one TikTok video, which has now been removed, which always makes me question like, what is he thinking now when he sees that video of him plastered everywhere? It's his photo in every single news article. Like sometimes you do post out of emotion and then you're like, ah, shoot. And so as to your point, maybe a majority of dairy farmers in Canada don't have a problem and do like this. And then there's this one rogue voice that just went viral on social media that now it appears as speaking for the whole dairy industry, which that is like a very sticky, slippery slope. Yes, there
1: are 10,000 dairy farm families in Canada. And I do think like anytime any of us speak, it's something probably is like, I hate using the word advocates, but whatever, people sharing on social in the ag space, you don't want to feel like you're speaking for everyone. You're like, I'm speaking about my operation or like generalization about dairy or beef or whatever. Um so I do. I wonder how he feels. It reminds me of the chicken lady from last week. Like, wonder how she's feeling about her post.
0: Yeah. Um, the other thing, I mean, this is like a tangent. Do you have anything more to add? About that, not really. I feel like it just gets
1: like honestly, you could study the milk pricing system here in the United States your entire life. I've talked with people; that's all they do, and they say they still do not feel like they have a firm enough grasp on how it works. So, to like, it's just a very difficult conversation to have because a lot of people don't even understand exactly how it works.
0: Okay, Sum that up. <laughs> I know.
1: I did. I. It's more complicated than this article. Like, it's not. There's. I don't think. I feel like this article wanted there to be like a villain, and I don't know yeah. that there's
0: a villain. Anyway, I was going to say I went on a rabbit hole, as I always do when I'm researching things, and I came across milk bags in Canada and that their milk is in plastic bags, bags, I'm going to get made fun of for how I say bags, (laughs) Um, where obviously we use cartons here. And I was interested, like, has that ever came into U.S. conversation about the carton versus bag discussion?
1: Yeah. have you? There's a TikTok video of um, Americans trying to figure out how to pour milk. Have you seen that? It's like three girls, and they're trying to figure it out, and it's hysterical. One's Canadian, and she's like, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Um, I don't think so. I don't know. I think it would be really hard to make people transition. I had bags when I was – and it's bags. Bags is how we say it.
0: Um, Oh, of course
1: it is. (laughs) In elementary school. Did you? Like no. my chocolate milk came in a bag and you poked a hole in it and you drank it. Nope. So I definitely am
0: familiar with the bags on some level, but I think it would be really hard to get people to move over to bags. I 100% associate and have only experienced cartons with milk. And when I was reading this, it was talking about how it used to come in glass bottles. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. There was like a milkman who delivered glass bottles every morning. How bizarre. I was the
1: milk made. This week in California, I got a glass bottle of chocolate milk, and you were like, "It's so cute." I know I did comment this morning. On the, I was like, "This is so cute that this." We is We finished from it. The, the bottle is like empty on the counter, and you were like, "Oh my gosh, I love it!" And you can tell it's been like reused, like the um, labels kind of coming off, so you can tell they like it gets like reprocessed. So I need to take actually that bottle back over to the grocery store today.
0: That's hilarious. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, enough milk. Let's move on to our second uh, news piece you guys need to know this week. A train carrying hazardous substances derailed earlier this month in eastern Ohio, likely due to mechanical issues. On February 3rd, just before 9 p.m. eastern time, a Norfolk southern train derailed near East Palestine. Ohio, a town of about 4,800 people near the border with Pennsylvania. Nobody was hurt in the accident, officials say, and most of the train's 150 rail cars were carrying cargo that was not hazardous, um, such as cement, steel, and frozen vegetables, according to the manifest of the derailed cars provided by the EPA. But 20 cars contained hazardous materials, um, according to an update this week from the National Transportation Safety Board, which is investigating the derailment. About three dozen cars derailed overall, 11 of which were carrying hazardous material, investigators said.
1: So this article came out on Friday, I think that we were referring to. So I found a new article and they are actually the state of Ohio in conjunction with the United States and EPA starting tomorrow. So this is we're recording on Monday. So on Tuesday, they're actually going to open a state health clinic who for residents who are worried about their symptoms that might be linked to the derailment and hopefully get people to get more answers. Because one of the issues, this is something I keep getting asked online is like, why don't they just test the water? Why don't they just like test the air, test the soil? And like, I saw this in the article too, that doctors were like, we don't even know exactly what to test for or what mm-hmm. symptoms to be looking for. So they're hoping by bringing in like a specialized team of people who are designed in like dealing with like toxic spills, people can get more information. Like your local pediatrician may not like know, what it is.
0: So, and I want to talk about this later on, but I listened to a podcast. It's Liz, it's the homegrown podcast. Her name is Liz, who she runs it. And she actually brought on a doctor that specializes in, she's a board certified neuropath physician with a focus on environmental medicine. And so it was really interesting to listen to the podcast with that doctor trained in that area. Cause even she was saying the same thing about how they're, not looking for the right things or they're focusing on the, um, vinyl chloride. She's like, but there's so many compounds that are made afterwards. So anyway, for everyone who like, I guess a general background, um, what happened was these, the boxcars, um, 11 of them spilled, and they had vinyl chloride, which is highly, uh, well, it's carcinogenic, but it's also highly flammable. And so they were concerned that it would combust, and then they would have to deal with like shrapnel going everywhere. So instead of dealing with that outcome, what they did was like a controlled burn. And if you're seeing any of the images going around, like those really dark black clouds, from what I understand, that is actually from the controlled burn. So... Then I guess what is kind of carrying in this conversation of where you're like, well, just measure the water, just test everything. A lot of things are coming out and saying that they are testing for the vinyl chloride and it's coming up like free or negative or, you know, however that's measured. And everyone's like, well, of course it is because they control burn the vinyl chloride. So it's not like we don't need to be testing for vinyl chloride anymore. We need to be testing for the compounds it makes. And there's a lot of, she in this podcast, the doctor was talking about how there's a lot of different, um, very harmful again um, compounds that are made from this vinyl chloride when it is, you know, controlled burned. She was talking about how one of them was even used as like a potential gas thing in like world war one. And so, yeah, it's really, it's really tricky because they, one, don't know what to be testing for. They, two, probably don't have – I think I was reading um, – I want to pull it up so I get it right. Talking about how they're not natural substances like you'd find in an oil spill. They're all chemical compounds and they're synthetic ones. And so it's hard to measure for those. There aren't sesor- sensors used to measure air quality. Um in that manner, a lot of them are used to like test maybe at a factory or like a, the amounts you test for there, but they're not good at like detecting t- trace amounts and like airborne chemicals. Um, they don't, and still, then they were talking about that even if they do get the testing, they don't know like over long term exposure what like is safe and not safe. And so, my heart just goes out to Ohio because I feel like there's a lot of unknown, and it's basically just like it's fine but it's not fine, you know.
1: Yeah, so that I'm um, so the very beginning I said that people don't even know what to test for and I think that's something that people don't always understand. They just assume like you get water and you just like test for everything. No, you have to tell the lab exactly actually what you want to test for. And then the other part, so if they don't aren't even sure how it's exactly breaking down in the environment and the atmosphere and the soil and the water. And all of those are different mediums. So you would like need to test the soil potentially for different things in the water than the air. Like Those are all completely different things. The other thing that I don't think anyone's talking about, but I was I've tested for PFAS. So that's how I know about that, which is a forever chemical that's really toxic as well. Um, there's very few labs in the United States that can test for things like this. Um, like I know PFOS, I think there's three labs in the entire United States and you have to collect the sample. You have to overnight air it on like dry ice or ice and it has to get there cold enough. They have to sample it right away. Um, Some And obviously this is like an emergency situation. So I'm sure there's other circumstances, but like you can usually only ship samples to the lab on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because Monday you have to collect the sample because like there's not freight on Sunday. Friday, they have to have the sample by Friday to test it. Like there's all of these things that go into testing these things that I don't think like we always think about. So it's like sometimes... It would be really scary to not know, but it's not always as simple as just testing and knowing.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. What would you do if you lived there? <laughs> if I
1: could, I probably would go someplace else for a while. I read an article this morning about a woman who was like, "We're just living with my parents, like a couple, like a few miles away. I think like twenty miles, so, but." I, I mean, I obviously probably would not be drinking the water. I don't know. It would depend where I was at. It would depend what my
0: water source was. Like, I feel like there's so many things. So it's interesting you say that because after I listened to Liz's podcast, I immediately ordered a water filter on Amazon. Okay, I was like, Liz missed a monetary, um, what's that called? Uh... Opportunity. Yeah, opportunity. I was going to say option, opportunity. I'm like, she should have linked that in the show notes. She'd probably go to Made a Fortune because everyone who listened to that was like, water filter, water filter, water filter. And I just except went to for
1: I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but like, what are you trying to remove
0: from the water? Different. I don't know, Tara. Don't bring this up. I have my water filter. I'm doing my due do justice. Let me live in my little happy bubble. Okay. <laughs> so this is exactly my point. Like,
1: a water filter doesn't filter out all bad things. It only filters out certain things that collect to that filter like certain chemicals that attract. So there's different types of filters for different things you're trying to
0: remove out of the water. Sure. Okay. I just picked the one that had 48,000 five-star reviews. Okay. Okay. So...
1: I'll let you know. Maybe I'll gift give, give you. <laughs> yeah, please oh. do.
0: Let me. Please, call, I'm gonna, like it's like um Bryce when she's like, help me. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's me. I'm like, please help me. I don't know what I'm doing.
1: <laughs> um, I feel like I'm gonna. This is gonna be my PSA. Maybe right now is if you ever have questions, you can always contact your public health department and ask like, what are things that we should be worried about in our area, like. They'll help you and they if you've private wells, which if we have a lot of rural people, you should be testing your private wells and a lot of times your county or state health department will test it for you or you can find a lab if you contact labs in your area, they will help you like send you the bottles tell you what to do how to sample it how to send it to them.
0: Okay, I love that for people who have so much energy and weren't laying in a California bed and just had pure panic for a moment and just ordered off Amazon. I did. She did this podcast did link in her show notes, a place that the doctor recommends that you go and you put in your zip code and they come up with the information of what they rate your water source yes. system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did that and I don't quite remember what it told me, okay. <laughs> okay, but I still order the water system. <laughs> Anyway, after <laughs> I was... Well, we'll move on. Oh, um, wait, I feel like my,
1: our DMs are going to... I'm going to get inundated with like, wait, what do you think about my water? I feel like I may have opened
0: a can of worms. I didn't want to Hello, your engagement's going to skyrocket. <laughs> so one of the things I was interested in, and there wasn't... Uh, surprise, surprise, a ton of information out there about it. But I was interested like on the ag impact. I wanted to try and search articles about like what was going on farms in the area, what like from, you know, again, a standpoint of agriculture in this Ohio area. And I did find one that gave a little bit of rundown, so I will share it. But honestly, if anyone has Googled their own, I'm not bringing groundbreaking news. But um, Ohio has about 75,000 farms in the evacuation area. Um, the expert they were interviewing says that there's no large animal operations, rather small farms with animals such as horse, dairy, goats, feeder calves, and backyard poultry. There is a dairy milking about 400 head and about 900 cows total outside the evacuation zone, which was like three miles from the wreck, which side note, people were pretty upset that like they only evacuated one mile radius, which I thought was interesting. Um, And so, so far, the only thing I can find in the news talking about affecting animals is the the large number of fish that everyone is calling tons of fish. fish. It was like over almost four thousand fish that died. Other than that, um, a lot of the officials in the ag. I don't know what exactly what department. Like, they had a vet in. They had a representative from like Ohio's act department. They were saying that nothing else has been reported from animals so far, just the initial fish portion. But that doesn't mean that they're probably like. It would be interesting to see like vet, like what vets are treating, like what people are bringing animals in for. Like, I'm sure. Okay, we didn't have like a thousand cows drop over dead, but are we seeing like the same things being treated that are like you know? I'm sure there's humans who are having symptoms of like the red skin, like all of these X Y Z things. Be interesting to. See speak to or hear from vets in the area are like they seeing same things in animals like what does long-term exposure of this look like again we're like two weeks in
1: um not to make this like morbid but one of the things about the animals too that i feel like could be of value if there has been animals that have like passed is being able to do like necropsies like,
0: oh 100 percent. that's not morbid that's like science and information and helpful like,
1: like i think that that i like i would imagine that's happening but hopefully they can get more information of like what's going on and how it's like affecting animals and then go out from there Okay. I feel like we have to move on.
0: Yeah. Sorry. No, it's okay. I was done. All right. And our third and final industry news piece you guys need to know this week, USDA launches cattle sales database to check meat giants power. The Biden administration introduced a public database on payment terms for private cattle sales designed to give producers more leverage in negotiating with the four meatpacking giants that dominate U.S. beef processing. The cattle contracts library will go live as a pilot project at the end of January and will disclose terms for all cattle purchase contracts made by large meatpackers, but not the identities of buyers or sellers. U.S. Agriculture Department officials say, said, okay, where to start? Do you have somewhere you want to kick off? No, you
1: you kick it off. You okay. you're beat. You kick it off.
0: Okay. I was actually I was actually nervous to cover this article because As we kind of mentioned in like the milk pricing, beef pricing is pretty intricate. I think people outside the industry would be shocked at like what goes into it. There's like the box beef prices. There's live cattle prices, which is like fed and feeder. There's contracts. Like there's so many confusing things that go into pricing that I was like, are we sure we want to touch on this, Tara? But you threw it in there. So I'm like, okay, here we go. And I actually found out a lot of kind of interesting things about I don't know, I guess the meatpacking industry that like I was kind of aware of on the surface. But the more I was reading about it, I feel like the more I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, So diving into this cattle contract, the cattle contracts library is what it's officially called. Um, I'll give maybe we'll give a few touch points on it. Did you log into it or like look at it all? Like, could you even get into it?
1: So, no, because only packers can get into it, I think, like to actually fill it out. But I clicked, I went to the USDA part where you could pull up all the PDFs of what the forms look like, what they have to fill out, what they're asking for, like all these questions and criteria that they want to know. So that was what I could see. And then you can go in and see the report. And it was as of February 13th. That was the most recent report that had been released as
0: of recording this. Okay, well, A plus for you on that effort, because I, <laughs> I did not do that. So I love you for carrying that weight. I did. Okay, so what I pulled out from it, it will run until September. Um, so I'm not sure if we'll like get updates or information. I wonder if they'll like run the full pilot and then conclude it but i did talk to like luke a little bit about it and i think um, again we didn't like dive too much into it i kind of just mentioned like hey this is did you know this was coming like we're covering this on the podcast this week and of course um he was like well that's you know great again that like initiative is being placed in that area but i think one of his big first red flags and and i don't know maybe it will be addressed on the inside pretty easily but like verification was something that he was like well how are they going to verify like what people are Putting in, because um, otherwise we could have like skewed data and, and numbers anyway. And so he was just really interested in like, okay, what's the verification process of this um, Cattle's Contract Library going to look like?
1: I think for me that was. Sorry, were you going to say something else? What was interesting for me is like kind of maybe what got us to this point. Like I feel like COVID, even like pre-COVID, I feel like 2019, the big four packers were like kind of starting to like be in the news or spotlight about what their practices were like, how they were marketing things. And I found this statistic really interesting from the article. The share of fed cattle purchased through such markets as open cash markets has fallen from 52% in 2005 to 20% in 2021 in one region the portion dropped to below 8% last year. And so it's a this massive shift in how cattle are being like sold and bought. And so I feel like anytime when there's like a massive shift like that there just comes like a ton of uncertainty of people not like it being new for people or things are just being done different. And so I feel like that's like one of the reasons we've I don't know, I think that played a part in how we've gotten to now with people being like we need more transparency in this situation.
0: Yeah, you're right. So there, COVID played a big role. And then, I don't know if you remember this, but before COVID, there was that huge Kansas fire. It was in 2019. Yes, that's
1: the one I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes, and that I actually found graphs that they did. Someone launched; it might have been the USDA actually who launched an investigation after that into like the the prices after the Kansas fire. And I found graphs that showed because again, I feel like what you said; everyone was kind of like aware of this, but no one was like fully talking about the details or like really bringing all of it to the surface. And those graphs from that investigation were so alarming of showing the difference in prices for between like. I think it was like boxed and maybe live. I'm not entirely sure what they were, but it was drastic. So maybe we'll make it into a reel for Discover Ag or something because I was literally, again, sometimes just seeing things on paper, you're like, whoa. Um, But that's the other thing. So when I was reading, 2021 was a huge Year for like a lot of legislation and policy to come into play for like against the big packers. I guess is how you would put it. And again, I was like kind of aware of it, but when you see it out on paper, when it was like in June, this happened. In July, this happened. And we can go through that if everyone's interested. But I was just like, wow, like a lot of this is for as long as the meatpacking industry has been like monopolized, which I'm pretty sure they came into power kind of like around the 60s. I'm um, like, so much has just happened in like the last couple of years, which kind of blows my mind that it like took that long for it to surface.
1: Yeah, I thought it was also interesting how many legislators are have signed on to bills. Like this is massive for so many states, like a lot of legislators are putting time and energy and obviously their voters are telling them to, um, to put energy behind these different bills. And I also like thought it was interesting the different like I'm not as familiar with like the Cattlemen's Association or anything like that cuz obviously I come from the dairy side but it was interesting to see which bills were supported by which of the different like beef
0: organizations out there. Oh yeah, that's always a fun thing to <laughs> I mean it's I the think same you for run you a like whole with deal. The different dairy like organizations. But yeah. And even I was looking to see because like you said, I always like to see like who supports or who like if a organization does have like, you know, something a reason not to support something. I always like to see the reason behind it. And right now, U.S. Cattlemen's, at least as far as I could see, they were the only um, organizations or association, I guess you would that has come out and talked about this cattle contracts library. Um, The president, he made like a pretty, let me see if I can pull it up. He made a statement. He said, um, disclosure of the contract terms could potentially be very beneficial to the cattle industry, which, um, yes, I agree with that. (laughs) I, I think I read a statistic, I think for me, that really sums this up. Um, it was from Larry Chanel, the president of the Livestock Marketing Association. And he said that this is just the beginning and a very, he wasn't talking about the cattle contract, but he was talking about like all this legislation that's been put into place. He said, this is just the beginning and a very good one, but there's still work to be done. And I think that's maybe how I feel like going back to the article, I guess, that we're covering like this, you know, cattle contract. Um, I'm not sure it's going to be like, the end all be all where we're like yay we did it we like solved the big four haha ha. like you know you were going down um but I do think it's like, you know, a starting point and like a new starting point. Like we have all of that legislation that took place. Like there's so much that happened in 2021. There was like the Optimization Cattle Act. There was a Packers and Stockyard Act. Like Biden signed an executive order. Like the DOJ got involved. The USDA has been involved. Like a lot of hands. We're kind of almost at like a tipping point. I'm hoping of like what could potentially happen with like the big four and the monopolization we kind of see from them.
1: Yeah, I feel like I am more appreciative than ever. Um, we obviously, I know we're, we're dairy, but like we literally sell thousands and thousands of beef cows like all the time um, every year. Uh, I think we're like, I think, I feel like Daniel told me sell like a thousand a month. Um, and so we though sell directly to a packer and it's a smaller packer. I mean, I say small, like relatively speaking, But I just feel like it makes me after reading this and going, I want to do more research. And it also makes me thankful for the Packer that we currently
0: use. I'm so glad it's interesting that you said like do more research because I also was thinking the same thing. So I don't know if everyone is listening and they're interested in maybe like one of our Tuesday advocacy episodes where we actually brought in someone that like maybe could, was more of like an expert in the pricing. Cause again, I am like Luke loves to pay attention to the cattle markets. He checks it daily. Like that's his forte. I'm kind of like, what like <laughs> I just it's a very overwhelming and confusing and so I would love to educate myself more so if everyone listening if that's something that you guys are interested in hearing too you guys should let us know like reach out email us DM us, and just like let us know if that like the pricing and how all of that works is something that you guys would love to hear or if that's something where you're like you know boring that we would you know we're gonna gloss over that like we would just zone out I'm not entirely sure
1: yeah, same with dairy. I actually have someone we could call that would be really interesting, but I don't know. I don't. I would, yeah, I don't know if we have more dairy, more beef. Where? But send us DMs if those are things. I feel like a pricing episode could be really valuable. Like maybe even split it down the middle, mm-hmm. beef and dairy, fifty. Um,
0: 50.
1: Yeah, fifty fifty. <laughs> all right, that's kind of all I had.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's exciting. I love to see you. Kind of mentioned this too that um, I'd like a lot of this has been. You know groups coming together which I think is great to see like I guess like the camaraderie. I don't know if that's the right word but just like unification against this to try and solve it. So I'm excited to see what comes of this we will obviously follow you know this exact one to see like if any updates come out before September or if there's any big news like when they you know finish and wrap up the pilot episode. But I don't know it could be interesting to think like maybe this will be a tip you know a pinpoint in history when they look back of like something that really changed with like the big four meat Packers. We shall see. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for you guys this week. So thank you so much for listening to Discover Ag, where every Thursday we cover the top three trending topics you guys need to know in the ag food space. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend to listen, share it to your social channels, or take a second to leave us a review in the podcasting app. Um, and if you guys want more of us during the week, you can always follow us on Instagram at discoverag underscore or our personal channels at Natalie Kavork and at Tara Vanderdusen as well as on our YouTube, Discover Ag, the podcast. See you next week.